Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Noah was a comfort or rest giver to many, and how the Lord Jesus Christ was a comfort and rest to many from sin. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh. Those words are a description of Noah's life work. To correctly understand the Bible, we must see and understand the all flesh, Kolbasar versus the Bible. We must see the all flesh, Kolbasar statements in the Bible and the all flesh, Kolbasar doctrines of the Bible. The all flesh or Kolbasar versus the statements, the doctrines of the Bible are very important because they are statements that are for all men. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study of the life of Noah and the book of Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. For all men. And the verse that we're looking at right now in Genesis 8, 17, when it says, Bring forth with thee of every living thing that is with thee of all flesh. Here Noah is told to bring forth of or from or representative of all flesh. That means to be taken out of all flesh. That's exactly the concept behind what the Lord Jesus Christ does when he brings forth the saved and they're spoken of. That's another all flesh or Colbasar Bible statement in Revelation 5, 9, where they sing a new song to him saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. So those that were redeemed are spoken of out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. It's the same type of description as we have here in Genesis 8, 17. They were of all flesh that came out. Now we said that this is a very key verse for Noah when he says here, bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee. So as Noah brought this life out of the ark, they were described and we've seen this before, as the ones who were with Noah. They were alive because they were with Noah. When Noah was born, his father had a very special purpose in mind for his son. And he gave that purpose, or he cast a vision for him in Genesis 5.29, when he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. So Noah's great-grandfather was Enoch. He was a man who walked with God. And it was very difficult to walk with God during that time because that was a world that where a believer was tired and exhausted because the believer was surrounded with murderers, surrounded with violent men, surrounded with profane men, surrounded with godless men. So it was just exhausting and tiring. And beside the fact, Noah's father was a farmer and he wasn't evidently having an easy time with his crops. So, so Noah's father just yearned for relief. He yearned for some rest from this. He yearned for some comfort from all this. So when he was born, he gave him the name Noah, which comes from a Hebrew word, which it means this. That's what the word means. It means to sigh. It means to just to breathe deeply, like in relief. 
And that was the vision that he cast for him when he said, this same shall bring us relief from arrest from all this. So when those people got off the ark, they looked at Noah and they said, you really did live up to your name. You really did bring us rest and comfort from the way that the earth was or was heading. And so Noah then was seen as they got off the ark as the rest giver. He was seen clearly that way. As you stood back and you looked at the flood and you saw the ark on the flood, and that flood was a catastrophe, an absolute disaster. The flood was a death machine. It was consuming and killing and there was dying and so forth. But what it says about the ark in Genesis seven eighteen is it says, the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And then it says, and the ark went upon the face of the earth. And that word went is the word walked. That's the same word that God commanded Abraham when he said, walk out of Ur of the Chaldees. He goes, walk, walk, go, leave. And so the picture here is that as death and turmoil are all around the ark, the ark is just walking over death. It's walking over all of this is taking place because Noah had given them rest from the death and the turmoil under and around the ark. He was a rest giver. Noah was like the Lord Jesus Christ in that sense from Matthew 8, 11, 28, where he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. So Noah is like the Lord Jesus Christ from those verses. People today are worn out. People today are exhausted. People today are looking for rest. But they don't know the kind of rest they really need. They think they need body rest. And so if they can just go to this Hawaiian resort or this Fiji resort or someplace, that they're going to find rest. But the rest they need is not a rest of the body. The rest they need is a rest for their soul because their soul is restless with sin. The soul is restless with the fear of what's going to happen to them after death. The soul is restless with the fear of standing before the judge. The soul is restless because it doesn't have the peace of God. It's not their restless bodies that's keeping them from sleeping at night. It's their restless souls that are keeping them from sleeping at night. And soul rest is not found in a Hawaiian resort or a Fijian resort, whatever. So as believers, we don't focus on soul rest in and of itself. We don't. We don't sit down in some yoga position and try to bring ourselves into a soul rest. We don't do that. We don't try to find soul rest in and of itself. Because what Matthew eleven twenty eight tells us is that it gives us a map to soul rest. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us soul rest. Soul rest is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. Soul rest is a gift. Soul rest is his gift to us. We receive soul rest when we, number one, come to him. When we, number two, learn about him. And when we, number three, follow him. That's why he said, come unto me, I'll give you rest. That's why he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me and you will find rest 
unto your souls. The more we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, taking his yoke on us, making his mission our mission, the more we find soul rest. So just as Noah fulfilled his name as the rest giver from a world that was in turmoil from sin, so the Lord Jesus Christ is the sole rest giver from the restlessness of sin. Now we saw in our last study how in verse 20, that was the first time that the word altar was used, mitzbeach. And it's used there, and it means, as we saw last time, that altar is a place of slaughter. Altar is a place where you killed the victims. And so it says in verse 20 that Noah built this altar and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. That's also the first time that this word is used in the Bible, the word offerings. The word that was used for offerings about Abel is a different word, means something different. But here, this word offering means it comes from the root of a step, like a a step of a ladder. Something that's ascending, something that's going up, something that's rising up. And so this shows us that offering is like a prayer. It's like prayer. Now, prayer is not a substitute for God's required blood sacrifices, as many Jewish rabbis say today. But prayer is like an offering because they both ascend up to God. So the offering or the sacrifice was never meant to be just something mechanical. Well, okay, I guess i got to go make my morning sacrifice today. Okay, that's done. No, prayer was always connected with sacrifice. Prayer was always connected with offering. In fact, every offering was like an embodied prayer. Now, it says here in verse 20 that Noah builded an ark. Noah builded. Noah builded. Just those words in verse 20. And Noah builded. It causes us to remember that in the Bible, there's only two things that Noah is known for building. And that is the ark, obviously, and this altar. So as complicated as Noah's life was, and we can only imagine how complicated it was. We talked about it. And Noah got off the ark and he led the first community of man on the earth. The first human community. And boy, that was a lot of work that had to be done. And he must have been engaged and involved in so many endeavors of planning and building and getting the community going and so forth. But the Bible describes Noah as building only two things. We can imagine how many things he must have built. Built vineyards and barns and houses and so forth. But He's only known for building two things, an ark and an altar. And that statement sets for us an example for us to follow in our lives. The phrase, Noah built an ark and an altar. Noah was happy with that kind of description for his life. In fact, that could have been on Noah's tombstone. You want to have Noah's tombstone? We read like this. Here lies Noah. Noah built an ark and an altar. See, that would be fine. Noah would say, that's fine. He would say, the tombstone maker, make it that way. That's good. I'm happy. And nothing else is mentioned of his endeavors to start the community of man. Just Noah built an ark and an altar. And that's how God describes Noah. And that's how Noah's happy to when you talk about me, all I want to be known as is the one who built an ark and an altar. And our lives are filled with so many, many endeavors and we have endeavors at work, and we have endeavors at home, and we have endeavors at other places, and we have responsibilities. But our priorities, now we're talking not about what we do, but priorities. Our priorities should be Noah's priorities. Just two things, building an ark 
and an altar. What's the ark represent? The ark represents God's salvation. That was God's way of saving man. So the ark represents the gospel. The ark represents how God saves man from the judgment of hell by the Lord dying on the cross for our sins. So to have a priority of the ark is to get married to the same mission that the Lord Jesus Christ had when he said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So when we have the priority of building an ark in life, that means that we, like him, are seeking to see the lost saved. It's to seek to bring the lost to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to build an ark. To build an ark is to bring the lost to be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the altar represent? Well, the altar represents worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, spending time with him, looking for what to thank him for, and thanking him for that, learning about him, following him. That's what it all means to build an altar. So with all of our endeavors and all of our priorities, they should be like Noah's. We build an ark, we build an altar. I could say that my priority is Standby's laboratory. My priority is the 800 or so employees. I could say my priority is advancement of the business. I could say my priority is try to cure cancer, try to cure HIV, to get the clinic to cut, expand it, treat more patients, cancer and HIV. And Noah could have said, my priority is to build this first post-flood community of man and see it expanded. Maybe they'll name a city after me, Noah might have said. But Noah didn't. And so we want to be just like Noah, who was known for building an ark and an altar. And then it says in verse 20 further that it doesn't just say that Noah builded an altar. The verse says, Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. If that verse had just said Noah had built an altar, maybe we'd wonder who he built the altar to. So there's no doubt about it. So it says that he built an altar to the Lord. Building an altar without saying who the altar was to or who the altar was for is like being religious without being a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like going to church without worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like going to church or a church where the Lord Jesus Christ is not lifted up, he's not magnified, he's not adored, he's not worshipped. And in that kind of church, we feel a little bit like Mary in the garden when she came to go look for the body and she didn't know, she thought she was talking to the gardener, but she was talking to the Lord. But nevertheless, she said in John 20, 13, she saith unto her woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto him, because they've taken away my Lord and I know not where they have laid him. Sometimes you go to church and you want to say that. <laughs> that's, that's why those three words in verse 20 are so important. It was not just an altar. It was an altar to the Lord. Noah was not just a religious man because it was expected to him. This was an altar to Jehovah, Jehovah Jesus. Now, some people just build an ark and they don't have an altar. Okay? And that's like people who work day and night to evangelize and they never take time to worship. They never take time to worship the one, to adore the one that they're telling other people about. So to only build an ark without building an altar will lead, first of all, to burnout, and it'll also lead the lost to see there's no spark of love in what he's talking about. Why would I want to get myself into that kind of bondage of having to go out there and knock on all those doors and so forth? On the other hand, 
to only build an altar without building an ark is to refuse to follow him. And that's not only hypocritical, that leads to a disaster in life. That's what the Lord described in Luke 4, 6 on the famous parable of the wise man built his house on the rock. He says, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? He says, I'll show you what that's like. It's like a man that built a house, and the one who does what I says, he digs down deep and lays a foundation. The flood arises. Well, you know this. The house in the room. Remember? <laughs> and so, well, <laughs> but on the other hand, he says, you know, he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation, without a foundation, built a house upon the earth, and, and then the house on the sand went kabam. Now, so to only build an altar without building an ark is to not be a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he said in John 15, 14, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. So we want to be like Noah, who ordered his priorities in life that he was known for building both an ark and an altar. And if you and I want to be like Noah, then we have to start now. We have to, this has to be our life. If we want to have that put on our tombstone, he built an ark and an altar, then it has to be what we're doing now. It's so easy to neglect. It's so easy to neglect the ark. It's so neat building the ark. It's so easy to neglect building an altar. It's especially important. Tom, today you spoke about John 15, 14, where the Lord Jesus said, Ye are my friends. Now our program is called Friendship with God. Was it that verse that was the reason for naming this program Friendship with God? Well, I mean, it's one of the verses, but it's a great verse where he says these words, Ye are my friends. And when you think about it, what a line God crossed over when he said, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. In other words, he looks and he says, Those who are characterized as obeying me, as doing what I command them, he looks at them and he says, You are my friends. He didn't have to say that. He really crossed over a line when he said that because it was a line of commitment. Because when you when a person says that to another person, you are my friend. It's it, it really has a body of meaning behind it because we think to ourselves, what is a friend? Proverbs 18.24 gives us one characteristic of a friend where it says, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. And then it says, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In other words, a friend sticks close. And when does it really matter for when a person sticks close? It's when there's trouble, when there is temptation to walk away. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, it says about him in Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness, be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, this is what God has said. The Lord Jesus Christ has said, this is what God has said. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's wonderful that he used those both those words, leave and forsake, because they're not the same. They don't mean the same. Leave means get rid of you. In other words, because of because of, you know how despicable we might appear, for example, be might be, 
to God, God never will say to us, you know, I just, I've had it with you. I'm, uh, you're despicable. I'm going to leave you. I don't want you. See, that's what leave means. And he says, I will never do that. I will never leave you to get rid of you just because I don't want you. He said, I will never not want you. I will never do that. But then he says, he will also nor forsake thee. So he says, I will not forsake thee. Forsake means that I won't choose another. In other words, it all has to do with the marriage. The marriage vow says forsaking uh, will not forsake for others. In other words, the idea is here is that God is saying, I won't look at somebody else and say, you know what? That person's better. So I'm going to, I'm going to forsake you for another. See the first one, I'm not going to leave you because of what you are. And I'm not going to forsake you for another. And he said, the Lord Jesus Christ, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the phrase that sticks closer than a brother. That's why God said in Malachi 2.16, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away or divorce. He hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. See, that was Judas Iscariot. He was treacherous with the Lord Jesus Christ. He went and he left the Lord Jesus Christ. He got rid of him and he forsook him because he said, I want the 30 pieces of silver. What will you give me? And I will deliver him. That's what he said. And so, he said that was treacherous and the Lord Jesus Christ God says he will never deal treacherously because he hates be dealing treacherously he hates divorce he hates putting away another characteristic of the friend is given in Proverbs 27:6 where it says faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful you know when you got a real good friend that friend is going to tell it to you like it is. That friend is going to lovingly, when you need it, wound you. Lovingly say things that you need to hear because you need to stop. You need to change direction. You're doing wrong, and the friend will come and tell you in a loving way, but in, a, in the end, it's going to be a wound, a wound. I've got a great friend in my wife. She's that God says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And then it says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity. There is a constancy to friendship. There is a friend who's there in the good times and the friend that's there in the bad time. And it says there, a brother is born for adversity. That's when you really see the sterlingness of friendship is when the times get really hard and the friend loves. You know what was a really hard time for God to be our friend? When we fell into sin, when we sinned all the more, and he was there for us. And that's why he said in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. In other words, he looked at us and he said, you're my friend and you are in such great need and you need me, the pure lamb of God, to 
willingly lay down my life. That's what I'm going to do with you as a friend because I'm going to meet your need because you're in great adversity. There's a storm of sin that's going on inside of your heart that's giving you that hunger and that starvation, that's giving you that emptiness, that's giving you that pain deep within your soul. That's adversity. And you think that it's only inside of you. It's not. There's a storm going on in front of God in heaven also where he looks at the sin and he says it must be judged. Judgment must fall. And the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing the two storms, the storm with Within us, the storm in God, he steps right into the middle and he says, I will calm that storm within you by becoming the bread of life. And if you eat, you'll never hunger. You'll never thirst again. He turns to the Father and he said, I will calm that storm before God the Father by laying down my life. And he comes and he says, it's my life. It's my body, my pure life, my pure body, my pure blood that I'm going to offer to lay down. That's what he meant when he said, lay down his life. And he says, and And he did it. And why did he do it? Because he's a friend. And greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So when God says, you are my friend, he crosses an unbelievable line of commitment. He has committed himself to love at all times and during adversity. He has committed himself to give us faithful wounds. He has committed himself to never leave us nor forsake us. He has committed himself to sticking closer than a brother. That's the wonder of it all that he calls us his friends. Thank you for joining us today. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Israel Restoration Ministries and Tom Cantor, you can go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org, israelrestoration.org. You can also sign up while you're there at our websites for a Tom Cantor daily devotional verse that will come right to your phone or your email. You can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for the Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries newsletter. We'll hear exciting testimonies of our hundreds of missionaries that are out witnessing to the Jewish people in 17 major Jewish cities, many professions of faith, as well as many exciting testimonies of the work that's going on. We need your prayers. So go to friendshipwithgod.org or call us today to learn more of 1-800-247-3051.